welcome to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. Today, I'm going to talk about practice being alone. So yesterday, I talked about loneliness, and when I was done and I clicked stop recording, I was (laughs) amazed to see that I almost reached an entire hour talking about loneliness. So clearly, I have some thoughts about loneliness, but What I was reminded of this morning in my sobriety meeting is that there's a big difference between loneliness and and practicing being alone. Um, So I wanted to talk about that because there's, um, there's, for me, it was the same thing. When I was drinking, it was the same thing. Uh, Being alone meant I was lonely. That's that's how I equated it. And so yesterday I talked about how um, my most important dialogues as I was growing up and as I was drinking and and trying to move through life uh, as an alcoholic, as an active alcoholic, my most important dialogues where I was really uh, getting in touch with my fears were when I was alone. They were inside me. And what that looked like for me was I would drink in the evening, late, you know, into the evening, late into the morning, um, and I would just drink and smoke cigarettes and write down uh, these thoughts as poetry. And then I would stick them in a folder and I wouldn't share them with anybody. And Although I think it was really healthy uh, throughout my life, using this as a channel for me to get that stuff out of me, I wasn't really addressing the fact that I wasn't willing to share that with anybody else. So I was conditioned, I conditioned myself to survive in this loneliness feeling and I and I continuously practiced protective measures um, in order to keep myself from breaking even more. I saw myself as broken. Nobody else would understand me and so I, I tried to protect myself from others um, for fear that they would break me more if I showed them who I really was. And today, as as a recovering alcoholic in sobriety, I don't think that I ever really knew who I was. And today, I think I do. I had a, a woman once in my, I think I was in my early 30s, and she said to me, we don't really ever know ourselves until we're in our 40s. That's what she said, Uh, because she was in her 40s. I think she was mid-40s, and I was in my early 30s, and I thought to myself, oh, I know who I am, and I'm broken. That's what I was thinking, Um, but it wasn't until I got sober with, with which just happened to be when I was 42, that I, I always smile when I think about her. Um, and I think she was right, but, but I think mine 
my path required me to put down alcohol in order for me to get to know myself. So I wanted to talk today about how we practice being with ourselves. Um, what I've done to practice being with myself and start getting comfortable with myself. Letting go of the fear of my own thoughts. And I didn't even know I had that. I didn't know why I wasn't comfortable uh, in my own skin. So we equate loneliness with the need for connection with others. And we meet that by reaching out, by doing the things that I talked about yesterday. Um, and when I got sober, I had to start getting comfortable just being with myself uh, sober, you know, without manipulating the way that my mind was processing information about how my mind was just existing without me altering it with drugs and alcohol. And it was a challenge. It, I felt naked. I felt like I was going through life without any clothes on, like I was exposed. The real me was exposed. And that is where the door was open and I started seeing who the real me was. And the real me was very afraid, was full of fear about everything, about um, just living, you know, just simply living, interacting with people, um, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or in groups or, God forbid, standing up in front of people. It was petrifying to me. Going to the store, everything was scary for me. Um, as I reached the end of my drinking and then shifted over to, uh, to not drinking at all. So I talked yesterday about how... Um, I believe that loneliness is a decision. Um, it is something that we feel. I think that it, it, however, is a state of mind that you can either sit in or you can get up and do something about it. For me, when I start isolating and welcoming that feeling of loneliness into my day, it's a, it's a red flag. It's a huge sign for me that I am starting to have a mental health decline. So as I've stayed sober over the past seven years, I've been able to start identifying what those things are. And I have to identify them uh, as soon as possible for fear that I might drink. So I'm very aware, you know, very self-aware. I've gone through lots of therapy, um, lots of exercises, lots of meetings, lots of um, looking inward and, and practicing that self-awareness and knowing 
if I'm declining, when I need to reach out for help, when I need to go to a meeting, um, when I'm just feeling icky. You hear me say that a lot. <laughs> that's the beginning. The feeling of ickiness, that's the beginning of a mental health decline for me. And it can go from icky to hollow um, very quickly. I, I mean, within within minutes sometimes, um, but most often within a day. I can start off the day icky and, and go to, through a real downward spiral. Um, and if I wake up feeling icky, I, I kick into action. I don't feel like it, but I do it anyway. And I've talked about what some of those things are yesterday. So one of the things that, that I find to be really helpful to get out of that icky feeling um, sooner rather than later is to do something for somebody else. And for me, sometimes that just looks like talking to somebody else that I know needs someone, you know, somebody else that might feel lonely or fearful, um, somebody else that's in my sobriety program or not in my sobriety program. Um, I can get out of myself. The sooner I can get out of myself, the sooner I can stop being self-centered and stop feeling those icky feelings. So instead of, instead of isolating and looking outward as if everybody is a threat to me, as if the world is a threat. Um, I try to nip that in the bud and look at other people as co-travelers, people that are traveling with me on this journey. And I've said this before, none of us have a handbook for living. And I strongly believe that We've got to figure it out together. We have parents that help us through our childhood. We have therapists, doctors, bosses, all of these things that help us mentor us through um, challenges. But I feel like not enough do we really extend ourselves to others to just help each other navigate life um, feeling feelings that you think are, are are yours and yours alone but so many of us share the same feelings so I, I I mentioned being comfortable in my own skin and that's something that I referenced a lot when I first entered sobriety is I just didn't even feel comfortable in my own skin. I didn't feel comfortable whether I was alone or whether I was with other people. So what I tried to do was escape my own skin. And the way that I did that was through drinking. And I drank every day, all day, uh, for several years um, towards the end of my active alcoholism. When I got sober, I began to notice 
who I was friends with. Not only uh, on the outside who my friends were, well, I was friends with drinkers. That's who I was friends with. But also who I am on the inside that I'm, you know, that I had not become friends with. I wasn't friends with myself because I didn't like who I was. I didn't want to hang out with Rachel. I didn't want to hang out with the Rachel I used to be. I only enjoyed Rachel when she was drinking. And then she was a hoot. Let me tell you, I enjoyed drinking Rachel so much. She was my best friend. Her and Vela, the boxed wine, were my best friends. And when I had to put those down, when I had to just turn my back and walk away from drunk Rachel and Vela, I went through grief. I went through the phases of grief that, that we've talked about. Um, I was angry. I was jealous. I was sad. Um, I, I didn't know what to do. Um, but I kept moving forward. The only way to it is through it. I've said that before. And I had to practice. I had to practice, first of all, becoming friends with myself. And in the sobriety program, we say that we're going to love you until you love yourself. And man, that was true for me. Um, I didn't see it at the time. I felt like, well, I love myself or I wouldn't be here. You know, I wouldn't have walked myself into these rooms if I didn't love myself. But as I've started to get to know the new me, um, the new sober me, now I really, I really do love myself. And I talked about that in several episodes ago. I, I mentioned that that day, I don't think I had ever loved myself the way that I did uh, that moment that I was uh, doing the podcast. So that's a pretty good feeling. And, um, and having felt it, I seek to feel it all the time. You know, I want to have fun with myself because I have to be with me all the time, especially in the stroke recovery. So I wanted to talk about a few tips on how to practice being alone and, um, and we'll see where that goes. So, um, number one, cook for yourself. And people say, you know, you have to eat healthy or what you eat, blah, blah, blah. Well, cooking for yourself, imagine, I go back to that moment in time that I referenced quite a bit where I had come home from school, I was in elementary school, and I was sitting with my white Persian cat named Percy, and I was telling Percy about my day, and I think about that because I try to nurture that little girl because she's still inside me somewhere and so I'm nurturing her and helping her grow and one thing that I would do for her when she comes home from school is that I would give her a healthy meal you know I I would make her some snack like you see on leave it to beaver or something like that I would cook her um, some healthy food. And not only does that 
give you that nutrition that you need for your brain, for your brain to think more healthy, but it also gives a sense of a sense of accomplishment as well. So one way to practice being alone is is to take care of yourself the way that you would take care of yourself as you were when you were a child. Um, so cook for yourself. Number two, exercise. So of course, I mean, these things that I'm going to list seem like they're repetitive, but they're repetitive because there's a lot of meaning behind it. Depending on what the topic is, why is it important? And so exercise, when it comes to practicing being alone, is, is loving the body that you're in and providing it some healthy movement. Um, I would not want to hang out with a person that is disgusting, that is unclean, that is like hacking up a lung because they're not um, exercising their lungs. They're, you know, they can't walk from point A to point B without running out of breath and, and falling over or passing out because their heart is not healthy. Exercise is something that makes us uh, build the body, not on just on the outside, but on the inside, um, that is enjoyable to be with. Uh, so healthy movement. Number three, challenge yourself to grow in something. Um, learn something new. Do something meaningful with your time. So being alone doesn't mean you have to do something that is sitting still, you know? Especially in this day and age where you can just go onto YouTube and learn how to do something new that back in the 80s we would have had to uh, either find somebody who knows how to do it or we'd have to sign up for some class at a brick and mortar location and have somebody, you know, instruct us on how to do something. Today, we can just pick something that we want to learn and start doing it. You know, you may need to hop on Amazon and buy some supplies, but are you kidding me? Like back in the 80s, I would have had to go to Ben Franklin, which was our like hobby store and pick up whatever supplies I need and then go to some sort of class somewhere to learn how to do it if I wanted to get, you know, a formal education in it. There's so many opportunities today to challenge ourselves to grow in something. So find a, a healthy hobby. I just keep building up these hobbies and some of them, you know, I'll go through, in fact, my sewing, I was sewing some clothes, I was upcycling clothes, and I haven't abandoned that, but um, I've switched to sewing my quilt. Um, but what I learned recently as I've been sewing my, starting sewing my quilt was that when I was sewing all of those clothes, I had my sewing machine set to the wrong setting. So I was basting 
the clothes, I think is what it's called. And um, so no wonder I had taken in a pair of pants and I wore them and they fit perfectly. I did an awesome job, if I don't mind saying so myself, uh, taking in the pants. But when I washed them, they fell apart. They like disintegrated. It's because I didn't have my sewing machine on the right setting. So as I continue to like keep introducing new projects to myself and sewing, I'm learning and I'm growing in that way. And so challenging myself, I'm making shit up, if you will. I'm making up hobbies for myself. I'm making up schedules for myself. I'm making up work for myself. And I'm growing because I'm doing that. It makes me think about, um, you know, there are times when we, I think about it in retirement. When we're in retirement, we get to do whatever the hell we want, you know? And there are people who find a reasonable amount of hobbies. And then there are people that just overwhelm themselves with volunteering and, and, and being a part of too many things overwhelming ourselves. And I, and I think of people that, that I've been friends with or are friends with in that they're in retirement and they, you know, I'm like, okay, so how you doing? What are you doing today? And it's like, well, I have to pull the weeds in the garden and then I have to go get, um, some supplies for my, um, you know, my woodworking class. And, and yet I'm, I'm sitting and I'm thinking and I'm laughing because I'm thinking this is a great perspective on retirement. It's not, um, it, they're not lonely, you know, they're not bored. And that, that makes me smile. I love seeing that. Um, when people retire and they're just like, I have so much to do, you know, I don't know how I ever worked, you know, I love that. And I have a feeling I'm going to be like that too. Okay. So number four, self-reflection, spending some time journaling and practicing self-awareness, practicing looking in, inward and thinking, is there anything that I'm holding on to that is not um, benefiting me? Um, how can I let that go? I really believe in writing things down. There's, there's something that writing can do that nothing else can do in my, in my perspective. And, and that is that we can get things out of ourselves but we don't necessarily uh, have to broadcast it to anyone. It's a way we can get it out of ourselves and burn it if we want to. I, I talked about um, my brother-in-law and how that's what he used to do. He used to write poetry and burn it. And um, although I, in my episode where I talked about it, I was thinking... Um, more to encourage people to share it with somebody else. I think that it's a first step to just get it out of you. You know, the fact that you are inclined to pick up a pen um, and start writing down what's inside of you is a sign that it needs to come out. 
So self-reflection, journaling, I'm doing this podcast, which has been super helpful to me. That is kind of my way of journaling, but I actually am broadcasting it to the world. So um, self-reflection. And then number five, letting go. And by that, I mean finding something to do where the whole world fades away. And that can be watching TV, reading a book, um, going camping, you know, get out into the wild and just literally like physically escape. Um, Seeking joy outside of yourself, doing something like take a bath or dance to music. That's something so I haven't really talked very much about it, but I had stopped listening to music for about a year and a half when my friend passed away because I just couldn't listen to it. It made me cry and it was just, it was terrible, like sobbing cry. Um, But I got through that by one day I decided to go running and listen to music and just let myself just whatever was going to happen was going to happen. I was outside, um, you know, and (laughs) anyway, I did it. And I started running. I'm listening to music and I was just sobbing. And I know there had to have been people that saw me because I was like running around a soccer field. Not a lot of people, but maybe some people in some cars saw me. But I'll tell you, ever since that day, I've been able to start listening to music. And now today... Um, I turn on music sometimes in the morning after my sobriety meeting and I just start dancing in my room and my dogs are like, uh, okay, she's actually really lost it at this point, but it's enjoyable. It makes me feel free. And although my daughter, uh, I think I mentioned it yesterday, uh, believes wholeheartedly that, uh, the woman can't dance, the woman being me. It's okay. I can dance alone and um, and not feel lonely. So loneliness is, uh, is really kind of a negative term. And so another way to look at it is, um, or, or uh, sorry, words that sound a little more positive that I think... Um, are more along the lines of practicing being alone, um, practicing solitude, practicing serenity, practicing peacefulness. It, it's to me, it's a place where you go, you know, <clears throat> you know, like it's, it's not a place where you hide. It's not uh, where you go to not be anywhere, if that makes any any sense, to a, a place to not be. It's a place where we can reside um, in serenity, in solitude, in peacefulness, and learning to rest our minds and slow down. This is a gigantic challenge for me, to slow down. And one thing that I was thinking of today is there's lots of reasons for that. 
But one of them, I believe, is I'm quite certain that over the course of my sobriety and over the course of this uh, stroke recovery, I have been afraid to think. I've been afraid to be alone with my thoughts because my thoughts didn't feel good. My thoughts were worries and I didn't want to go through it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to process whatever it was that I was thinking about, whether it led to grief, you know, like thinking about everything that's going on at work right now. Um, thinking about that, if I just sit and allow myself to do that, I start feeling grief. And I don't want to feel that. So I do something else so I don't think about it. And I don't think that that is healthy, but I'm doing it anyway because I'm trying to do whatever I can to keep moving forward with a positive mindset. But it's not healthy for me to be afraid of my own thoughts. And I... I'm trying to think when I started doing this. I'm not sure, but I started like listening to audiobooks. I think it was right after I had my stroke. So two years ago, I started listening to audiobooks because it was the best way for me to occupy my time. I feel like it happened before that. I'm not quite sure. For some reason, I'm drawing a blank on that. But audiobooks were a way of me escaping my own thoughts. It was a way of me being alone, but not being alone with my thoughts. I was instead being alone with somebody else's thoughts, you know, being alone with a, with a storyline. And I got to the point where I was listening to four books a month on, on Audible. I, I got to the point where I wasn't even buying enough credits to, to keep up with um, not being alone with my thoughts. And so I heard today um, in a YouTube video, it said that not being alone with myself and listening to my thoughts is like letting my emails back up in my email inbox. And the more and more they back up, the more overwhelming it is, the more time I have to set aside to catch up on my emails, to catch up on my thoughts. So like going on vacation for a week, you know, when you come back, your email, if you if you are not like me and you and you don't check your email throughout vacation, then you come back and it's just like you have to spend an entire day, sometimes more, to just catch up on your emails. And that's what it's like. If I if I spend 2 weeks or a week 
you know, I was listening to four books a, a month. So let's say I spend a whole week listening to an audible book. Every time I'm alone, I'm listening to this book. When I'm in the shower, you know, when I'm going for a walk, when I'm, uh, whatever, whatever I'm doing, when I'm cooking, anytime I'm alone, I'm listening to the book. That means when I'm done with the book, all of a sudden I've got this backup of thoughts and things that I need to process that I've been ignoring. It's just like, uh, my emails have backed up in my inbox. I thought it was a great analogy. And so in order to start practicing being alone with my thoughts, I have to spend that time. I have to, just like you have to spend the time starting to go through all of those emails and process each one, that's what we have to do to practice being alone with our thoughts and processing the thoughts. And at some point, it could take months. At some point, you get caught up. And then when you're alone, you just have the thoughts from the current day or from yesterday or from just the, you know, from the current moment. And so, I would encourage everyone, um, because when I think about this analogy, I think we need to really schedule time to, to think and to get caught up on, on all of that backup. And, and only then will we be able to start being comfortable being alone with our thoughts. So, um, I thought it was just a great, it was a great way of looking at it. And I wanted to share that in my podcast today. So that's all I have with you. So let's practice. Let's practice being alone. I'm going to do it. Well, I don't have a choice. I'm going to practice getting better at being alone and and listening and being comfortable and being my own best friend. Um, People say to do that, but how do you do it? So Hopefully some of these tips will help you and that's all I've got. So thanks for listening and I'll talk to you tomorrow.